Hopefully you got all your walking around handled. Go ahead and find a seat. We're gonna, I'm gonna read some of the Bible to you. We're reading out of Hebrews today. Uh, 3, 17, 7 through 19. And I don't know if it'll be up on the screen behind me or not. Yeah, there it is. Cool. All right. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of the testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? With whom was God angry for with whom was God angry for forty years? Wasn't it with those who sinned, uh, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Well, good morning, and I just got to be honest, at the outset of that passage, before I probably get into my normal spiel, like that, that's a tough passage. Um, There's some tough words there. Um, So I just want to recognize that off the jump, and I just want to calm my own heart uh, this morning and just say a prayer for us to be responsive to who God is and what he has done so that he may speak to us in the way in which we need it this morning. So if you would, I'm going to pray and uh, just invite you to ask God to speak to you this morning. God, you are good, and as we gather here, I think about all the activity, I think about the impact near and far, God, the potential. But we know all of that production, all of that opportunity only truly comes if we're connected to you. So help us be reminded of our connection with you this morning. Help us to not be consumed with what we could do or should do or ought to do, what we should have done or what we might do later. but help our hearts find the quietness and the connection that we need and can only come from attachment to you. Lord, speak to us. Guide our time this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
So if we haven't met yet, my name is Kyle. I'm the lead pastor here at Generations. And you've picked an interesting day to gather with us for those of you who are a part of the Generations Church family. And for those of you who are just kind of feeling things out, uh, you've heard about some of the global uh, mission and the story that we're, we're trying to figure out how do we step into that and step into that well? We, you see all this food up here and, and see like, hey, there's local opportunity as, as well that we are trying to step into. And really that's what I want you to hear from the outset this morning is God is at work and weaving an incredible story together. And so the people that are gathered here um, are definitely not all put together despite what they might have you uh, believe. I am not all uh, put together despite the ones standing up here uh, speaking uh, this morning. Uh, we are stepping into a beautiful story that's been uh, working out through time. And we want to invite you to really join that story. That's why we talk about gen cards and response and, and building that connection, like knowing your name and knowing your story, because there's something powerful in that, so that when we wrestle with deeper things, difficult things, we can hear each other, we can respond to each other, not in a way that's just dismissive of like, oh, because this is what has happened before, or, or this, is, this is what I've been told from afar, but there's been, there can be a mutual exchange and a sensitivity that comes from being known, being heard, and considering if God is real and active in the world, what might he want to say to me and how might he call us to respond? And so really, that's what we're doing here together, is considering that, being refreshed so that we can be sent out and be and live that story in the everyday things of life. Thanksgiving is this week, and I should preface it as the U.S. Thanksgiving. I want to be sensitive to our Canadian brothers and sisters who are, who are uh, uh, we, we do have uh, Canadian brothers and sisters who gather with us at Generations. And I just, as an aside, um, you may be aware or not aware, but we have at least eight different ethnicities and nationalities who are part of Generations Church, which is truly remarkable and incredible. And, and God's family, when we see Generations, it's Generations and Nations of all people worshiping and responding to Jesus in heaven in eternity, like it's going to be all, every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so it's not just like, let's all look the same, be the same. It, it truly is diverse. And so for generations, is, is we know our community is reflected of that. And so we want to make sure that as we love our neighbor as ourself, that that is reflected here as well. And so I that's the aside. I, are you a person who, when you go to Thanksgiving dinner, if, if you have that kind of traditional Thanksgiving, like someone who like lumps all the food like onto the plate and stir it all up and just mix it? Or are you someone who's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you just said that. That gives me stress because you got the neat little compartments and your food can't even be close to each other and like touch each other. And you, you know, you got people in your family. It's like you look at the plate and they got all these nice, neat little piles. And then maybe it's you who's walking around and it's like, yep, gravy on it all and just going and, and it's like so you've got you've got these different styles and things but at the end of the day it's like usually people are carrying around one plate and so it's like no matter how you prefer to lay out your plate you you have one plate the challenge is when it comes to our spiritual life and health and integrating into this big beautiful story is we tend to feel like our lives are separated into multiple plates 
No matter how your, how your life is laid out, you, you compartmentalize and you keep all of these types of activities and, and trappings and, and substance over here on this plate and then over this plate, maybe it's your work life and you've got everything nice, neat, organized or maybe it's just all a big pile of mess, and, but, but it's this plate over here. And so what you find yourself doing is spinning multiple plates and because we're, um, it's Thanksgiving, so we tend to gorge ourselves and just keep more and more on. Maybe that's a metaphor for our life, is we just fill up the plates in our lives so much that it's so difficult to keep everything spinning and going, and it's all this and that. And then finally, it's like we just drop it and make one big mess. We fill ourselves so full of life in all our different areas because we think if I just fill my life to the max, then we'll truly be satisfied but ultimately we can't keep all of those full plates spinning and going. And I can't think of a more appropriate time in our life to consider how full our lives are than the holidays. As you think about your family and your friends and the activities and the opportunities, it feels like just one more thing might just push you over the edge and drop. And so as we gather this morning, Consider what it might look like to, instead of try to balance all of these plates or fill them all to the max, what does it look like to have a fully integrated life where you carry one plate and maybe it's full and maybe there's gravy all over it or maybe it's in those nice neat plates, but regardless, there's one single plate. One, the other thing about it's frustrating about this time of year is I think about kind of the, the busyness and the hustle and bustle is, is it interrupts my golf game. I promise only, promise only one uh, sports metaphor today or analogy. Um, this is it. Is like this is the time of year where they aerate golf courses. And so if you don't know what aeration is, it's like they roll this machine over it and it takes these uh, takes out segments of the ground and like it looks like little corks spread all over. And I guess so not just quite a sports thing, but like you can do this to your own grass like your own lawn to like build some health is like you you aerate your your grass and so it pulls out these like segments of the ground that looks like corks and get spread all over um, and what it does is aeration allows uh, nutrients to get to the roots of grass so that it can go grow green and beautiful and full and lush it breaks up thatch it breaks up compacted soil it improves the effectiveness of fertilization. It stimulates root development. So it's like pulling out chunks of the ground so that more things can grow. It improves tolerance to drought and disease. It pulls out the soil so that water, fertilizer, seed, and air can get down to the roots. That only those roots can get by pulling some stuff out so it can get to the deep things. Sometimes God will pull something out of your life so that he can deal with some of the deep things in your heart. He's going to push an aerator over the carpet of your soul to help you experience renewal. To force you from trying to balance the plate to say, I've got one life, God, what would you have me do with it? Sometimes he wants to pull the weeds out of your life so that healthy things can grow. And the most challenging part of this process is that we have to be patient with the aeration process because the season of pulling isn't the season of growing. 
And sometimes we want God to do big things or accomplish mighty things or experience transformation and growth in our life, but he's not done pulling some things out of our heart and out of our lives. There's some things that need to be removed so that they can then be replaced so that healthy things can grow and be stimulated. The pulling, and ultimately, as if you think about aeration, the pulling of the pieces are ultimately always used to refertilize the ground so that they may grow. Sometimes the pulling out of the things of our own heart and our own lives may then be later used to provide the fertilizer need for healthy things to grow. And I think it's apparent that as we consider where we're at, and I know it's been mentioned a few times, Charles even kind of prayed it in the prayer of like, man, sometimes it's just surviving. And how do you go from more just than surviving to actually having some spiritual health, to some spiritual growth, to to go from even for us as a church to just simply Thank God we made it through COVID to say, let's stop trying to hang on and survive to say, what does it look like to have some healthy spiritual growth in our own individual lives, but in our, in our church community? And in order to begin to go from simply survival to growth, we do have to become aware of the unhealth in your life, in our own lives. It's one thing to say my back hurts, but never do anything about it. Fingers not pointing, you know, it's like, I, I'm, I'm there with you. It's like, it's one thing to, to, to make something aware and be like, yeah, this is not as it should be, and then allow that to keep complaining, but never say, what could I do about it? And I think sometimes in our spiritual life, we have some heart pains, and we need to consider what might we do with those pains? What is the healthy thing that might come if we actually took those pains seriously and went to our spiritual doctor, to our heavenly father and asked, what would you have me do? See, there's a serious that's needed when there's a pain. And it's not at the expense of joy or, or taking away fun, but it's just like maybe a lump somewhere that shouldn't be there. We should take our spiritual health seriously. Because until you get serious about your spiritual health, you likely, on some level, won't even take God seriously. Hebrews was written to a group of Christians who were struggling with the reality that Jesus is better. And they were wanting to throw in the towel. It seemed like there were better options on the table And that maybe if they went back to being fully Jewish with some of the standard practices, something that was a little more tangible, uh, that maybe they could even manipulate, that if they went back to what they knew before, then at least that was going to be manageable, better than the uncertainty and the consideration. If Jesus is better, if the gospel is true, if God loves me, and sent Jesus to live a perfect life, to show me how to be human, to die on the cross and be resurrected, if that's true, which means I don't have to be in control, I don't have to chase other approval, I don't have to have all the power, like I don't have to have all the answers, but I can know that that's true, and allow that to start to shape my life, I might have to get comfortable with being a little uncomfortable, because life wasn't going quite how they had envisioned. And so this 
sermon, this, this speech that's then recorded and written down, is essentially, if I had to sum it up in two phrases, is that Jesus is better and don't give up. Some of you are at the place in your life where you're trying to consider and weigh options. Is Jesus better than this or that? Should I just give up and throw in the towel? And what this author wants us to know is that we should not take that lightly. And he wants these Christians to not forfeit the benefits package available to them in Christ. Because if they walk away, it's not just that they are taking something off the plate. It's that they're completely they're forfeiting really their life. And so where we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4 is really this retelling and application of these people in the wilderness. And what this author does is he, is he takes this case study and applies it to their situation to help them see both the benefit of Moses being a faithful servant and then the response to the people of Israel in the wilderness and what basically happened to them. And so this author, he quotes Psalm 95, which is interesting is he could have gone back to Numbers and like retold the story. Um, and if you're unfamiliar with that story, we actually did a whole kind of section of a sermon series on it called Road Trip. And it was the story of this people of God out of the exodus, out of slavery, out of bondage, all the way to the edge of the promised land. They went on this road trip of sorts with God to get to the edge of the land of promise and then they decided it was better to trust their own eyes, their own ears, their own foresight, rather than the promises of God. And it's a disheartening and discouraging story. And what this psalmist does is he, he sums this up in this Psalm 95 and kind of says, and applies it. And then this, this author then takes that psalm and utilizes it to apply it to their situation. So I'd encourage you, if you've not read that story, it's, it's pretty, pretty crazy. But the reality is, is sometimes we'd rather turn a two-week journey into a 40-year journey. And so the author wants them to not do that. And so he kicks verse 7 off with a big therefore. And if, just Bible reading tip... Whenever you see therefore, we need to ask, what's it there for? And so those who hang on to Jesus will experience the benefits of being built into God's house if they hang on to Jesus. And that's a big if. Wait, I, Kyle, I, hold on. You said that this passage was written to believers who were difficulting. And he says, wait, if they hold on, and should they be concerned that they may lose their connection to God if they don't hang on? In other words, should they be concerned about their salvation? We're going to get into that, but I need to pause here on that word salvation. Sometimes it is filled with all kinds of unnecessary baggage, but the reality is, is to be saved is both a, pa is a past, present, and future reality. It means you've been made right with God, and the penalty for your sin has been paid. 
and that you've been adopted into God's family and the power of sin no longer reigns in your life, meaning you can change. And then one day the presence of sin will be no more. And how you get saved is trusting in the finished work of Christ and responding by faith and baptism, confession, and repentance and saying yes to Jesus. And so I got to, unfortunately, like, I, I got to clean up some bad teaching here. There's this notion that once you are saved, you are always saved. What's painful about this statement, it's that it's reversed from the truth. See, it's always saved, once saved. If you continually trust in Christ, as you live your life, every moment of every day, saying, I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to follow Jesus, I'm actively, you will prove that the moment that you initially did it is true and right and good, that your baptism was effective. But it's not, oh, sweet, I'm good, I said a prayer, I did the deed, now I can live however the hell I want. Because usually when you do that, you live like hell. And the reality is we are supposed to bring heaven to earth and continually respond to Jesus, to let him sit on the throne of our life to go back a few weeks. And when we allow that to happen, we prove that the trusting in the promises of Christ is enough in our daily experience. See, a continual response to Jesus and who he is proves that you were once really saved. See, proximity to that reality and behavior modification to kind of look like that reality does not equate to belief. Just because you are close to something and because you can act like something does not mean that you actually believe something. And the reality in this passage is he wants this group of Christians to not just play the part but to truly trust and respond that's why he says today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts in the rebellion on the day of testing see it was israel that tested god in the wilderness where your fathers tested me tried me and saw my works for 40 years the people of God were rescued from bondage. They experienced the sea part. The water came from a rock. They received the law next to the mountain. They saw a, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. God provided for these people, yet their unbelief that God would help them enter the promised land caused a two-week journey to turn into a 40-week journey. Their disobedience delayed their rest. Sometimes God stirs something in our heart, and we think, not today. Tomorrow, surely I'll get to it. Maybe someday I'll change and I'll make that decision. And what happens is we delay our ultimate rest. See, rest in Scripture metaphorically refers to God's blessing, safety, and security, and salvation. We don't have to chase approval. We don't have to chase power. We don't have to chase temporary comfort because it's given to us in Christ, and then we can simply live in response to that. See, while God chose Israel, while he saved them, and through the exodus in some way, he chose them, it doesn't always mean that they understood their salvation. Election, the choosing of God, doesn't always mean salvation. See, everyone elected isn't saved. All of Israel was elected, but a close proximity to the pillar of fire, to the covenant, to the tabernacle. 
Not all of them chose to believe that that was the God who could save and sustain them. 1 Corinthians 7 talks about this in terms of a church standpoint. It talks about that in relation to children that are covered by the covenant even though they aren't saved. They may experience the blessing of believing parents or a church community that loves and responds to Jesus well. It gives them a sense of election without salvation. Like Israel, children can be close but not believe. And not everyone in Israel believed God. See, that's why church attendance doesn't mean you're saved. You're, you're in close proximity to hear the good news of how Jesus can and did and does save, that you can take communion, that you can respond in worship through song and prayer and giving of your life to him. See, you're, you're even here this morning by divine providence on some level. But that doesn't mean that you trust and believe in the finished work of Christ. And the psalmist reflects on the wilderness generation who had Moses, but they took for granted the power of God and the kindness of God because of their circumstance. Just because you're close doesn't mean you believe. And our hope for generations is not that we just get close or look the part, but that we truly trust and respond. And that we never take for granted the power of God and the kindness of God despite what our circumstances may have us believe. For it was Israel who tested God. God was not testing them. And so do not confuse your circumstance in life and God's kindness. Do not conflate your circumstance with God's kindness. If my circumstance is poor, that means God is somehow mad at me. No, that is not far from the truth. You may have the consequence of delayed rest, but that doesn't mean that God's presence is there absent. You see, the presence of God did not disappear for 40 years, but their rest was delayed. See, they resisted God after their rescue, which delayed their reward. See, God may need to expose some unhealth in our life. He may need to pull up some roots. He may need to aerate your soul so that we get in the practice of simply responding to him rather than resisting him. Because that's what this passage starts to talk about, is in their rebellion, they resisted God. They hardened their hearts as God moved on, on his behalf towards them. He said, I'm near, I'm accessible, you are loved, you are chosen. They said it's easier to believe something else. They, they, they resisted God. And see, there's some urgency here. He says, do not delay. He, he emphasizes several times, today, today, today. Sometimes we think, oh, I'll, I'll get to it tomorrow. If God stirs your heart, do not delay. We need to be in the practice of saying yes today. That's why when we talk about a time of response, as we gather as a church, that's why we don't just, okay, here's three songs, here's a little hosting, here's a little teaching, boom, we set our formula, wipe our hands and go. We try to facilitate a time of response because we gotta practice that together. We want you to, if God says go pray for someone, 
If he says, sit quietly and contemplate, my goodness, we want you to do that. If he says, reflect on your connection to me because of my son Jesus, we want you to take communion and do that. If he's like, you need to give, and you're like, but I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. He's like, you need to practice responding in generosity. We've got to break those bad habits because hardness of heart, this stubbornness, this resistance to God is not an event. It's a process that we sear our soul by continuing to say no to God. And Israel, time and time again, got in this practice of saying no. Not right now, some other time, or later. And what happens is it delays the reward. There's, delay, there's a consequence that comes, and ultimately, they were not able to enter the promised land, that it was actually the next generation that was able to do so because of their unbelief. And so how do we combat our propensity to drift towards apathy, to kind of put a resistance to our just innate desire to say no because we don't see the future, we can't quite see how it's going to work out? If we're going to take God seriously, then we've got to run towards the right voices. We've got to get practice of hearing the right voice, that, that when the Spirit speaks, that we stop saying, not this time. It, it says here in verse 7, it says, as the Holy Spirit says, we can look at case studies in Scripture, in the Word, and say, man, am I delaying what God has for me? He has moved on behalf of me in Jesus and I'm thinking that something else is better. See, God speaks through his son, and he speaks through the spirit, pouring, pointing us back to his son, Jesus. The word is embodied in Jesus. He says, do not let the powerful opposition of society around you or the rewards it would give for conformity to blind you to the reality of God's power, the certainty of his promise so that you abandon him for a temporal reward. Sin is deceptive, and it's consuming, and it's more dangerous. So we need to practice running towards the right voices in a way in which that is helpful, is as the author says, he says, encourage one another today. Today. See who Jesus is. Understand what that means for your life and surrender and then help others see that. See, encourage is placing courage within them to respond to God well. We need each other because we see all kinds of other things. We feel like we've got to juggle plates. We're unwilling to let God do the deep work in our soul because of so many other things. We think other stuff is better. But we need our brothers and sisters to say, it is worth it. Jesus is better. Don't give up. Amen. Do not delay. Amen. Don't allow sin to run your life. Trust in Christ that he is better. And respond to that truth. Which means that in our conversations with others, we need to be cognizant of what voice we find ourselves speaking with. 
we've got to get familiar with God's voice so that then when we share that with others, we're not sharing our perspective. We're not sharing, well, this is based solely out of my experience, but we're sharing the word of God interpreted through the lens of Jesus and his character and his priorities to best help them. And maybe that means we listen for a little while so that then we can respond well with grace and with truth. Helping people believe the truth about God to root out unbelief. Unbelief is simply ceasing to trust God at every moment of every day with everything. And on some level, we're all unbelievers. Despite how long you've been trying to follow Jesus, on some level, we all have areas and places of our life where we're saying, not yet, Jesus. Or I'm unsure, Jesus. Or I don't know how this is going to work out, Jesus. My hope and my prayer is that for us at Generations Church, that we get such in the habit of responding to Jesus well, that it's actually yes to Jesus more and more and more. And that even when we fail, even when we say no to Jesus, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who say, it's okay. Say yes to Jesus now, today. You can't change yesterday. Quit worrying about tomorrow. But today, you can now say yes with whatever is next and whatever he is asking you to do. So the words of the Hebrew writer as we close. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. I don't know what he's asking for you today. I'm not all-knowing or all-powerful, but he is. He knows you. He sees you. He loves you. He knows your precise story. So consider what you need to say yes And maybe you're like, Kyle, it's not some big grand thing. That's okay. Say yes in the small thing. Maybe it's some bigger yes thing and you're concerned. Say yes and trust that as he builds his house, as he builds the church, as he builds the people of God, they will be there to support you as you say yes. Do not harden your hearts. Say yes. And at worst case, take a cue from Israel. Don't turn a two-week journey into a 40-year <laughs> journey. There's some people here who've got some stories who've done exactly that, and they would not want that for you. And so I would hope that as you listen to other stories, that you listen to this case study, and that most of all, that as you would listen to the word of God, that you would say yes to Jesus in every area of your life. Let me pray for us. God, right now, the band's going to come forward and we're going to practice a response. We're going to sing one more song. It's tempting to think about other things 
in the future, in a few moments of what could be, what should be. God, right now, I just pray that you quiet our hearts, that you still, that you help us say yes right now. If we need to go pray with someone, we go pray with someone. If we need to say yes in faith to you and choose to be baptized, we pray that the decision is made right now. If someone's been reluctant to step into a church family because of past hurt or pain, we pray, I pray that if you stir their heart, God, that they would consider saying yes. God, if you stir someone to just go respond generously to someone else in the room, I, I pray that, that they would do that. God, that we would not harden our hearts and say no, but that we would hear and see your example, that we would respond and love with your character and priorities, that we would say yes, and whatever that means, to say yes, whether that's sing, prayer, or response. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.